Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. It's still got a bit of me taking cakes into work. We did get another section of, of your life, Howard. <laughs> I feel like we need a TV series of just your life, Howard. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Bake Down Podcast. We are doing our season four throwback, and we are on episode four, so we're motoring through nicely. With me today, as always, we have the lovely Jane, Dan, and Howard, and we are going to be looking at episode four, which is Pies and Tarts Week. Now, this is something I don't think we we see a lot of. We see pies and tarts scattered throughout the competition, but to have a dedicated pies and tarts week, it's not that common, is it? I don't, I don't think so. I think normally it gets kind of absorbed into pastry week, doesn't it? But we had both a pies and tarts week and a pastry week in Oh, in did area. you? Yeah. Ah. All the pastry. Now, Howard, every week, obviously, we ask you to watch back your an episode of your season. Um, how did you feel about watching this episode back? Bit of a mixed bag, actually. So <laughs> I thought... Oh, I hated that that signature bake. I did. I I tried to. I tried so hard in practice to sort this out. Even resorted uh, to trying for the first time a Mary Berry recipe for a double custard <gasps> fruit tart. I couldn't get that to work either. So I thought, oh, this is this is awful. But yeah, I persevered. You sort of hear people in you know the kind of evening before when you chatting to people about what's coming up in, in the next day and you hear them about how they've managed to get solid fruit and so on as you slice through it and you think don't think I have and it was such a relief watching this back thinking yeah you lied didn't you you not managed it <laughs> <laughs> you didn't yeah. it at all. I mean, I mean how do we were just talking about it before we started recording but the what what did the brief say that the the pie had to be or that a slice had to be? So it had to be. I think it was. I, I should have dug this out, but I think it had to be a double crusted pie. It couldn't be blind baked, so you had to bake it with both the bottom. Whoa, whoa, and whoa! The, <laughs> yeah. you, you couldn't blind bake it. No, no. So you had what? to bake it. You had to bake it with the the fruit intact, and as you uh, oh, and the and. This was the other thing that blew my mind, was that the time allocated included cooling time. And you think, so I've got to cool this down and try and get it out. I didn't even bother taking mine out of the tin, and I think several people did the same. But double-crusted. And as you cut into it, it had to stay intact and show fruit without any leakage of fruit juice. In two, all that in two hours is just a joke. (laughs) That's ridiculous. That's one of the most ridiculous time restraints, I think. I mean, they're pretty good on those, aren't they? But this surpasses all the others. Two hours for that is just a joke. Because a decent pie, you're probably talking 45, 50 minutes to get the pastry cooked on the bottom and the top. Yeah. That blows my mind that you couldn't, I mean, looking at the time constraints, I get that you couldn't blind bake it, actually. Yeah. why, why would you not 
line was? I've never... Right, okay. So I'll go on a mini rant here. So in America, I know we have lots of American listeners, like double-crusted pies are a real big thing. Okay, and I know you guys make them all the time. In England, we don't really do it that much. Uh, We do have apple pie. Uh, The phrase is as American as apple pie. I think it's actually an English recipe. I'm 99% sure it's an English recipe, or definitely European. It's definitely not American. Uh, But anyway. um, (laughs) We will get letters, you know. (laughs) I know we will. But I... I blind bake. If I do a double crusted pie, I always blind bake it. I can't imagine how that could possibly work out if you were doing it in one bake. And now that makes so much sense why everyone was putting semolina in the bottom and, and weird things. And I, I, I was going to get on to how I might get the fruit to set in a minute, but I just do not understand how that base could possibly have been dry. But semolina really works, actually, because I do occasionally make a uh, double crusted pie and semolina does work, or as do ground almonds, if you haven't got a nut allergy. It's just something to mop up any additional liquid. It really, really does work to do that. The problem is with this as well, I mean, you do have to cool all that fruit filling before you put it in a raw pastry base. Because you cannot put a hot filling no. or a warm filling into a raw pastry base. You could, you could get away with it with a blind bake pie, but you can't with a raw bottom. No, it'll melt all the butter. It melts everything, and then it'll go, and then it'll never go crispy. Then, so I think it's a really, really tough challenge for them in the two hours. Yeah, I, I think that's really quite unreasonable. Actually, I'm actually amazed. Uh, most people struggled. But I'm amazed that anyone did a good job, actually, because I think that time constraint and the brief is, I mean, a little bit, yeah, a little bit ridiculous, I've got to be honest. I mean, I must admit, I tried some awesome, disgusting things in practice. <laughs> I, did, I remember sending sending some recipe ideas through to my sister, and she, she said, mmm, apple pie with egg in it, that sounds nice. Because I tried <laughs> one recipe where you coat the apple in egg in order to kind of bind it together. And that's like, oh, Ooh, no. <laughs> no, Howard, yeah, no. That didn't make it into the final cut. So you can see why Glenn put custard in his, yeah, couldn't you, to yeah. try and do the same sort of thing. I mean, I think if you look at some of the American recipes, you know, cherry pie and things like that, there's quite a lot of cornflour goes in, quite a mm. lot of cornflour. Or you could try some arrowroot as well. Not too much arrowroot, but arrowroot can give you a... You can get a bit too much aftertaste. Does anybody use arrowroot? We used to use arrowroot. My my dad used to use arrowroot for thickening sort of fruit glazes and things. It goes a bit plasticky sometimes if you're not too careful. And you can get an aftertaste, but it's quite useful, especially if you want to be... You don't want cornflour in there. Yeah, arrowroot can be very gluey. That's the it can be a bit gluey. It, yeah, it goes it a little bit, a little bit snotty. But so when it comes to thickening the fruit sauce, you've got a bunch of different options, and I'm going to just run through them very quickly. So you've got corn flour, which obviously works very well, but that clouds the fruit juice and makes it sort of look a little bit less appetizing. You can use tapioca, which gives you a clearer appearance, but it also gives it like little spots. Some people swear by using potato starch, again, a little bit cloudy. Uh, one thing you can get in America that for some reason you cannot get here, you can get shipped over, but it's horrifically expensive. You get something called clear gel, which needs to be cooked, and instant clear gel, which are sort of products that are made with tapioca and or heat-treated corn flour or something. I don't know, it's some kind of wizardry. And they will help it sort of gel up and be nice and clear, so the fruit juices are clear. But 
that's quite a specialist product and I'm not surprised that, that nobody used that but you have a few options to thicken it but again even if it's not completely cool I don't know how well you'd be able to cut it I think they were a bit set up for failure that and to be completely honest if I'd been on that challenge my pie would have looked like pristine's it would have been soggy and dripping I don't know how I would have done anything else in the time how anybody think of using agar 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 they're so good they named it twice like a jelly yeah yeah like, yeah agar. I wonder whether that would thicken it or or even some xanthan gum i just use cool flour to be honest i mean i'm not going to look at a piece of yummy pie and go "Ooh, that fruit juice looks a bit cloudy if it's a dark colored fruit then it's absolutely fine but if it's a light colored fruit like for example on a cherry pie it will it looks much more attractive if it's a clearer if it's, dark, if it's a clearer yeah. one yeah 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 Sorry, going to the pastry though. Could you have done a lattice top? I would have no time. I don't know, actually. Oh, yes, you have. It's easy. When would you have done it? It's easy to put a lattice top on. Goodness me. (laughs) So clearly we all have very strong feelings about our signature challenge. (laughs) Yes, I mean, that, that is a lot to fit into such a short challenge. A criticism of Bake Off nowadays is that, especially in the last few seasons, is that the time constraints have been very strict. Uh, But this appears to have been running through the seasons all the way from the beginning. So, yes, this was our double-crusted fruit pie, which I only found out yesterday that means pastry top and bottom. I didn't know what the double-crusted meant. And, yes, the aim was no soggy bottoms, and as we've said, two hours to do it in. We've mentioned Christine's, some beautiful uh, apple, plum and cinnamon pie, and she definitely had a soggy bottom and a soggy top. (laughs) Bless her. As I said, I think any of us that would have done it within the two hours would have had similar problems. Yes, Glenn's custard was definitely a nice idea to help sort of bind everything together. Unfortunately, that didn't quite have the desired effect, did it? It, Custard didn't seem to taste of what he was aiming for. The idea was a good idea, but it's just one of those ones that you actually can't quite execute as you planned. Because, you know, if if you're going to cook the apples enough you're going to end up with a very rubbery overcooked custard. So it just sort of, it's in theory, it's a great idea, but in practice, I just don't think it works. But then they, if you'd have been able to cook the apples first, maybe it would have been okay. But as Howard said, there was no time to be cooking the fruit or you weren't allowed to cook the fruit. Was that it? I th- no, I think you could cook the fruit. I took the view that actually, because of the time constraint, I just used the dessert apple and cut it very fine because I, I, I thought I'd rather have it baked longer in the oven and for the to cook the fruit that way then be spending time cooking it and and then you'd struggle with the the cooling time as well yeah because when i make an apple pie i typically cook the apple first i sort of make a caramel sauce cook the apple in it and then get some of the liquid out of the apples that way but that takes ages that takes about an hour to cook them to get all the liquid out of them first so that would not be an option and then, as we've mentioned, you've got to cool that filling for this challenge so it doesn't melt mm. the pastry. So you've got a lot of things to think about. So I can definitely understand why putting the fruit in raw might have been an option for this challenge. Yeah. Howard, can I ask a question? Sorry if this is a little offensive, but why why was your pastry so crumbly? What happened? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Again, it was that kind of belt and braces thing where I... I'd put polenta actually in the pastry as well. And I, I just think I'd, it was the fear of kind of overworking it and so on. Um, it just needed more liquid in it, really. Okay. Yeah. It just, I, I wondered 
what, why it was so crumbly. I just couldn't figure it out. We would say that in a class, wouldn't we? We get people saying, oh, this is not coming together. This is not coming together, especially when maybe ingredients and quantities have traveled across the pond. It's very often our friends in the US that have problems with our, our recipes and crumbly pastry. And we always, well, I always say, just add some water, just add some water to bring it together. But your, your brain disappears when you're in a hurry in the tent sometimes. <laughs> oh, I know. Yes. Um. <laughs> now, I just want to talk about Ali for a minute, who seemed to have a lovely idea for his pie, his apple and ginger with his pecan and walnut pastry. I'm sure that would have satisfied Mary's desire for a bit of extra different texture, you know, a bit of crunch in the pastry. But he said he really hated fruit pie and so was reluctant to taste it. I'm intrigued yes. as to how you manage because you guys must have all baked something at some point in the tent or maybe for another purpose that you don't actually like so how do you make something and present it as something you're proud of when you don't actually like it well first of all I eat anything and I don't (laughs) I don't make anything I don't like like so I can't really relate to that you know if I don't like a fruit pie I figure out a way to make a fruit pie that I do like you know I I don't really understand that but I think there was you could sort of see they were setting him up for failure a bit when he described fruit pies as disgusting and he said something like I should probably taste it but I don't want to and I just thought oh that's like funny but like that's really foolish and uh, obviously it came back to bite him on the bottom but who doesn't like fruit? What's that about? What, did he have some traumatic experience? Yeah, I don't think he liked anything other than chocolate. And What? One of my mum's friends, she says that cooked fruit is the work of the devil. Really? So for some people, it's really, really not a thing. I don't know. Does she eat jam? Jam's cooked fruit? Yeah. True. I know. I know. I love cooked fruit. I love like stewed apple in a crumble or a pie is absolutely delicious. Um, But yes, so Dan, what what sort of thing, like let's say it was the apple, if you didn't like the sort of stewed down apple, you could have tried doing something like cherries maybe, a cherry pie. There's always an option, like, like as Howard used the dessert apple, which is a lot more firm, so it still has a lot of bite to it after it's finished. There's other things you can do. There are firmer fruits, there are softer fruits. I just don't understand. I mean, I get what you're saying that some people just don't like certain things, but I, I just can't relate to that. Like, if there's something I don't particularly like, I find the version of it I like the most. I don't, I, I don't really understand that point of view. I'm sorry, I just don't really relate to it. No, I can understand if it was a fish pie. You know, and I really hate fish. And you've got to mm. do a fish pie because some people really hate fish. But there's nothing that offensive about the flavour of fruit. It might be the cooked texture of fruit. You might not like the texture of it too much. And and I totally go with you, Dan. You can change your fruit for texture and whatever. But there's nothing offensive about the flavour of fruit, I don't think, cooked. <laughs> and he only has to have a little taste. It's not something he has to eat a whole mountain of it you could have at least tasted some of the juices to see if the ginger's coming through because he was i think he said he was going on smell wasn't he that he could smell there wasn't a lot of ginger in it so i'll try a bit more yeah Yeah. there's probably not enough (laughs) put some more in there I genuinely wondered if he was sort of going for a funny soundbite or something like because it just just to to be like oh i'm not even going to taste it i'm like that's really that's really a not a sensible decision to not taste your own food. 
I even eat raw pastry. I taste my raw pastry just to make sure yeah. it tastes good when it's raw. It tastes fine when it's cooked, doesn't it? Yeah, Jane, I've, ju- I've just yeah. checked. I have dug out the original recipe request, and it does say that the pastry top should cover at least 90% of the... So you could possibly have done a lattice, but yeah. Yeah, you could have done a lattice, but it would have been a close weave lattice and not a weave lattice. I liked your cinnamon stick hole, by the way. I thought Thank that was you. rather fun. Yeah, Mary liked that. I wanted yeah. to. I've got, love the cinnamon stick. Yeah, exclamation mark. I'm, yeah, I did too. I really like Francis's. I like the idea of Francis as well. With the, the frangie pan, so that definitely would have helped. That was a really good idea. And they, they called it very, very bland and dry. I guess it's just that a peach is not the strongest flavour, especially if the peaches aren't very fresh and in season or get them out of a can, then they're fresh and in season. You know, they can be a little bit bland, so I get that. The ones that I like the most, just because of the story, not even because of the pie or anything else, it was Becker's, and it was a rhubarb pie, and said that the only way that they got them to eat it as a kid by saying it was, uh, was it cherry apple? Yeah, cherry- yeah. yeah. I love that because yeah. that's such a real story. You can imagine a mum doing that. It is, but when you've heard it for about the twentieth time, when you've been on the bench, <laughs> <laughs> wow, <Sorry. Kathy>. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Howard. <laughs> well, just going back to the pastry for uh, for a bit, Christine was shown using a food processor and then she got lots of lumps of butter in it. Is that a good way to make pastry or do you guys prefer to use your hands so you can feel out all those lumps of butter? I tend not to use my electrical equipment just because I really can't bother to wash it up and it's a very good opportunity to put on sort of some video and merrily either knead or rub in butter. It's a good excuse to watch a bit of rubbish telly really. But, you know, there's no excuse with the food processor. You just sort of blitz it and it it does it in seconds. So I'm not quite sure why she had lumps. But, you know, rubbing in by hand, at least you can feel where the lumps are. But then all you have to do is put your hand in the food processor once it's been turned off and (laughs) check to see whether it's all been incorporated properly. So perhaps Howard could throw some light. Yeah, I I, I mean, I tend to, like like you, Jane, just not, not bother getting the food processor out and if I'm in a relaxed mood it's quite nice to be able to do that but I did think time is limited here I will use food processor for this it's like when we do classes or did an event yesterday and you're rubbing butter in and people are watching you and you think this is really boring isn't it it is is. yeah you're trying to do it really really quickly and you can't well one thing I do think about rubbing the fat into flour is I think I actually think you get a slightly better result obviously it's the slower version and as you say Howard maybe not the most interesting thing to be doing but I like you know listen to a bit of music or whatever at the time um but one of the things that I was introduced to embarrassingly late in my baking life was the idea that rather than getting the fat to disappear completely you want to break it up into tiny little flat shards and if you do it between your fingers you end up with little flat splinters of it and that sort of creates little micro layers in your pastry and you end up with a bit more flake if you just absolutely obliterate it with a machine then you don't necessarily get sort of quite as much flake the reward for all the hard work is maybe not immense but i do think you get a better result and i find it quite 
therapeutic uh, do, doing things by hand. You know, for me, it's like, you know, when you go to yoga and do sun salutations for the hundred millionth time, you just sort of slip into a meditative state and you can just do it while, you know, clearing your mind. And, you know, it's, it's quite relaxing, I find. But I understand that, you know, we've got busy lives and maybe other people would prefer to just chuck it in a blender. I get it. I get it. What about those pastry maker things? <laughs> uh, Sarah loves these pastry maker things. Very Love often mine. people in classes have yeah. them. The cutter. The cutter thing. Yes. Has anybody tried one of those? Sarah loves them. I just find you get the same effect, but it's not as wearing on your on your hands. I just get very, very tired doing it like that. I did just I just find it doesn't really work for me. So you get the best of both. You get the the flakes of butter and you can still see it you, you're still part of the process you're just not having to use your arms quite so much and you can answer the phone because you haven't got dirty hands that's exactly. the thing yeah. yeah i can put it down and run to the phone <laughs> i did buy one years ago but i think one maybe the first time i used it i used it on a big lump of very cold butter and bent the cutters on it so i think it went in the drawer and never came out again i think you're supposed to still cube your butter before you use it <laughs> all right <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's where i went wrong yeah I think, I think just attacking a very large block of very cold butter that was probably my mistake i did that with a potato ricer i think i did i bent the blade on a potato ricer by just putting something too big in it yes i was not <laughs> impressed that went in the drawer and never came out again well we are on episode four as we know and i think this is the first time that we have heard everything that everybody is making we heard everything that becca christine francis everybody got a look in right at the beginning so howard does this mean i can enjoy the little history segments now you've still got a bit of me taking cakes into work haven't you yes we 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 did get another section of of your life howard (laughs) i feel like we need a tv series of just your life howard with your you know your fake office set and your running and your painting I, i thought we got a much better actually better understanding of what people were were baking certainly in the signature i thought it was uh when it came to the showstopper we lost a little bit again i, th- I thought we had less detail um, you wouldn't really know what was in my fresh fig and feta filo uh, flan apart from figs and feta would you fresh, fresh fig and <laughs> feta <laughs> so was yeah, it fig and feta by any chance I'm glad we got to see a bit more of you, but I noticed we got to see Ruby again, yeah. and she was still sat on the floor studying out of a book. I was like, didn't we see this last week? Uh, I think that's all she does, is study. So, well, yeah. she's a very diligent student, or was, clearly, I, I assume. Clearly. But I was very pleased that we got quite a lot of, oh, no, from Howard again. <laughs> I didn't even notice. We that. certainly got it in the technical, because I've, I've actually written it down. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, yes, we shall come on to the uh, tricky technical in a moment. Good results-ish? No. The signature? <laughs> no. No results. No terrible. We've done terrible, all of us did in that, I must admit. But looking at it, I think uh, Kimberly did really well, didn't she? Yeah, she had a good week, didn't she? I liked the idea of the sour cherry in there. I think that would have just cut through the sweetness of the marzipan. 
I, I, I like the idea of rubies a lot, actually. She seemed quite pleased with herself when she figured out the sour cherry thing. And I think, yeah, that sounded like a really nice compliment to the other flavours. I think Rob did okay as well, though, didn't he? Apple and pear pie? He did. I think, I think he was doing well up until that point. Well, and, and on the technical as we get to that. But yeah. You're in a catty mood today, Howard. That's my job. No, that was, honestly, that was said without any cattiness. That was just me being objective there. <laughs> Sorry, I'm tainting you with my own brush. Sorry, Howard. A rather tricky signature to start off with. Well, let's go to our technical challenge. And uh, we had 12 individual custard tarts to make with uh, two hours again for this. And I think it's safe to say that this also seemed very, very tricky as well. The biggest thing seemed to be not being able to get them out of the tin. Now, Jane, as soon as I saw people with the two little strips, I thought Jane would be proud. Because if anybody's been to a Bakewell tart class with Jane, you'll know that lining the muffin tins with those two little strips of paper are very, very useful. Yeah, Howard, what, what happened in this challenge? Oh, gosh. I think I said at one point, I don't think it was actually broadcast, was it, where it said, oh, yes, I've made custard tarts before. But when I've done them, again, I've blind baked them a bit. You know, because you, you want that, that. You don't actually want a completely solid piece of pastry that's been blind baked. You still want a little bit of softness because you want the custard to adhere a little bit to the the surface of the pastry. But boy, trying to do these without blind baking, I think was was a bit bit of a nightmare. And what really infuriated is, I have to say, this is oh, I'm just off. I'm just offloading. <laughs> Go on, This was one of the series where, at the end of the episodes, uh, you know, after they've shown the final, they then had Paul and Mary's masterclasses, and it was they they did Paul's custard tarts as part of this, and he said you must let it get completely cold before you try and take it out of the tin, and I'm thinking. Yeah, but we couldn't do that, could we? And we were we were all so furious at this kind of masterclass afterwards. But. I don't blame you. I have to say, two hours, again, not enough time. Clearly not enough time. I don't know who came up with that, but my favourite moment of the whole episode, and I'm sorry, apologies, Howard, but I was absolutely howling, was when you were <laughs> levering out some pastry that was just, like, completely empty and broken and just put it on your presentation side and you're just like, oh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. But again, that is one of those things where... You, because you're concentrating so much during the technical, uh, you you don't know what what's happening. I just thought, I can't believe this. I can't get these last two hours at all. And I'm sort of, I'm, I, I literally had the tin upside down yeah, at one point, didn't I? I'm banging know. it on the bottom, <laughs> just get it out. And I put it on and and sort of stopped and turned round. And you think, oh, thank goodness for that. Everybody's had the same problems. I must admit, I really didn't enjoy watching people with really sharp knives running them around the inside of tins. No. I could just hear the scratching of metals Ooh, and the piercing of pastry. Yeah. <laughs> One that impressed me, and, and she's had a bit of a rough ride so far, old Frances, hasn't she? 
she warmed her custard. I think it's Raymond Blanc's lemon tart recipe, which is excellent, by the way. He raises the temperature of the, so you don't cook it as a custard so you don't want it thick before you put it in but you raise the temperature and it just really helps with the setting in the time and it's clearly worked out for for Frances this time because she came first and her hers looked really good didn't it so for anybody doing a custard based tart whether you blind bake or not it's a really good idea just to raise that temperature so it doesn't go into the pastry case stone cold. If you think about how long it would take to raise all the temperature of all those ingredients once you put it in the oven, it doesn't actually probably start cooking for a good 20 minutes, I wouldn't have thought. Going back to what Howard said and Paul's masterclass, I did look up his recipe because I thought, I'm going to give them a go, except it wanted something like seven eggs and I didn't have seven eggs, so I didn't make it. We didn't make them. But it does say in his recipe on the BBC website, cool in the tin for 30 minutes. Yeah, not surprised. If I was there, I think I'd have been having an absolute meltdown this week, to be honest. I thought it was, how was this not pastry week? Like, <laughs> what, like do, do you know what I mean? Because it's a, I think, I it's think pies we, and tarts. This is, this is the, this is the, uh, the kind of halcyon days before kind of dairy week and Mexican week and things like that, where they just thought, we need to kind of rework the basics a little bit. So we did get, a, I think later on they got a French week. But yeah, it was, it was basically the basics wasn't it it was pastry week one and then pastry week two i think yeah well we had two bread weeks as well we had we had bread week and then sweet dough week which sweet dough week (laughs) oh yeah and then sweet dough week but you know maybe they'll do that this year because they made an announcement didn't they a month or so ago saying they were going to go back to basics because everybody thought the competition was getting a bit too complicated so maybe we'll have pies and tarts and pastry this year as well yeah maybe instead of tudor week or dinosaur week or something I still think we should go back to Howard's idea of Poison Week. <laughs> oh, Poison Week. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. If uh, if that sounds a bit of a shock to anybody, please go back and listen to our previous series uh, where we, we do talk about Poison Week. <laughs> well, I just want to bring up something that Rob said in the recipe. He said, it said nutmeg to taste. That seems very misleading to say to taste, giving, as he rightly pointed out, it's not his taste that he's satisfying. And we've seen this before, I think last year when they did the tacos in the tent and they had to make a guacamole and a salsa. And I think Sandro was criticised for putting too much onions or too much chilli in his salsa. And it's like, well, if you've not provided any guidelines for that, then you can't really criticise them because that's a personal taste. What was it, the year where... Paul had an issue with a gherkin or something as well. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a euphemism, no. by the way. No, <laughs> actual gherkin. <laughs> yes, he said he didn't like gherkins and didn't want gherkins in things. Well, you know, we're going back to Ali tasting his fruit, aren't we? You're a judge. You've got to taste everything and be objective. For goodness sake, I think we had a right old go at that couple of years ago. I think you do have to be mindful in certain ways you know I think 
I was just mindful of the fact that the judges would be tasting a bunch of different things. So if it didn't have a good, strong flavour, it would be it wouldn't wow them against the flavour of other things. So I, I was conscious to to flavour things on the top side rather than having things more subtle. But, but you can't, you know, you can't please everyone with everything that you make because, you know, people have different points of view. But hopefully the judges are not too partial and make allowances for, for taste, maybe, maybe. Can I just say, when they were sitting in the tent and they were the most beautiful custard tarts that Mary and Paul were tasting, weren't they? Paul said, you know, it just has to have a bit of a wobble. And he got this tart and he was shaking it for all it was worth, just trying to get a little bit of a wobble on it. And there was no wobble on that tart, was there at all? Just made me laugh. Uh, Just shake it for all you're worth. Actually, to fling it across the room, it might wobble a bit. Shake (laughs) it like a Polaroid picture. So our technical challenge rankings then. Glenn, bless him, came all the way down at the bottom in ninth position. And I think his comment were just major issues. Um, (laughs) We didn't see any more of his major issues, but um, there we go. Ali came eighth. Christine was seventh. Ruby was sixth. Howard, middle of the pack at fifth. You're safe, Howard. Excellent. God, Howard, how were you fifth? Okay, so I think they took into account that they were sort of ten and two halves, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> they were all right. They were a little bit small, but actually the pastry was good and the custard was good. So I think I think that it's was well baked and good colour. So yes, I think you've got some some good comments there, definitely. Uh Kimberly fourth. Uh so again, she's having a, a good week. Uh just about done, but a bit shallow and still quite raw pastry. So hmm, maybe not too good there. Uh, Rob third, uh, Becca was second, and Francis was first. Uh, she had a, a pretty good pastry, a good bake, and a good set on her custard. So not too much of a wobble. Now, if you like the sound of these delicious egg custard tarts, we will be doing some egg custard tarts for our next bake along. This is our fourth week in the bake along, and we are going to be making some egg custard tarts and a big Yorkshire curd tart as well. Very, very nice. Yorkshire delicacy, if anybody wants to try that. That's going to be our class with Karen on the 26th of March. That's Sunday, the 26th of March, and that's going to be at five o'clock UK time. So we hope some of you will join us for that. We've had a lot of fun so far. We've made an angel food cake with Jane. We've made Howard's beautiful decorative loaf and breadsticks, and we've made Howard's gorgeous chocolate petit fours. So please do come and join us for Karen's egg custard and Yorkshire curd tarts. Uh, on Sunday, the 26th of March. Thank you to all our listeners who have written in with questions for us. We've had them flooding in over the last couple of weeks and we are very excited to be reading a few out. So we have a question here from Yoni in Brooklyn, in New York, and she says, we've heard before on various media outlets and even from our bake-off hosts that the technical is the least weighted challenge for any given week that is it has the least effect on whether you stay or go home this strikes me as completely off to my eyes the best judge of whether you're a good baker isn't adhering to a recipe you've already put together and tested before but rather given x ingredients and y time and z heat can you make something tasty and good looking using practiced 
baking skills. I was wondering your thoughts on this idea and the relationship of the technical in general to the other components of each week. Can I jump in first and just say, I think that when we say that we feel the technical is least weighted, I think like we judge that by what we see. We assume that it's the least weighted. We're not, we, I was never told how things were weighted on the show. We have an assumption based on what we've seen that the showstopper is worth the most, but we don't, they never really spell it out for us. So I don't know. I agree with you in principle that the technicals should matter a lot, but I think we see a lot more people's personalities and their individual baking styles in the signature and the showstopper. So I understand why those are shown a little bit more, but I do personally feel that the technicals should matter more. I mean, that's my opinion, but then I'm quite a technical baker who focuses on the technique. So maybe that's just because it serves me. What do you think, Howard? I think I think you're right. And I think the other thing is that uh, the technical will change from week to week, won't it, in terms of the rankings. So you could have a week when everybody does brilliantly and then it's so subtle, the difference between first and eighth or whatever. Another week where it's very, very clear the difference between those those rankings. I, I think, as Jane said before, it, it, it's really about doing better than others, isn't it, really? I agree with both of you. And, and I think the technicals, again... We have no idea, or I have no idea, how how it's ranked. So whoever says that they do know, I am not sure that they do, to be honest, because I think the production company keep the, the deep, dark secrets deeper, dark and secret. And I know we're still all covered up under our NDAs, but they don't tell us some of this stuff, and they certainly haven't told us my year anything about how it's ranked. So, uh, you know, whoever says they do know, I would question whether they do. As far as the technical is concerned, I think with the showstopper and the signature, you have a chance to look it up if you've never heard of it. So I've never made a mirror glaze cake. I then looked it up to find out what it was and, and then I practiced it. Um, with the technical, you can be faced with things that you've never heard of, bump and noodle being one of them, which is still strikes terror in my heart in the middle of the night. And you have to use your skills as a baker to decipher the recipe, sometimes with very scant information. You may not have any idea what they look like, how long they bake for, and you just have to use the skills that you've got in order to try and find a way through the puzzle of the technical challenge. But yes, everybody knows what a, a Viennese well looks like, but not everybody knows what a marjolaine, or however you pronounce it, looks like, which is what we had. So I think technical challenge is very important. I think it's something you've never never tried before most of the time and you have no idea what it looks like most of the time, how long it should bake for. And it shows up the skills of you as a natural baker, I think, or an experienced baker. So I do think it ought to be highly marked, but whether it is or not, I have no idea. Just picking up on, on the way the question was worded as well, it it's not a, it's not like what ready study cook is it where you sort of take the ingredients and you're producing something delicious from that the technical is also about producing what they are looking for so you may do something and shape it completely wrongly because in your ignorance you don't know what it looks like and therefore you will be ranked lower down the the kind of uh, pecking order but actually it might taste okay so the, the, it's a combination of those it's it's not only about you know, your skill as a baker and your ability to use those ingredients, it's actually producing the thing that they are looking for. 
chocolate feathering last year being one of them. Yes. Yes. Actually, yes. their most beautiful chocolate feathers, didn't they? Oh, they were stunning. They were stunning. Especially yes. And sometimes I feel like the physical mistakes are ranked more severely than the baking mistakes. I remember in my season, we had to make um, mamoul, these Middle Eastern pastries, and Karen put the wrong filling in the wrong shape which is like, in my mind, a fairly minor error. And she was bottom of the pack. And above her was Terry, who who made the pastry completely wrong and the whole thing had melted and fallen off. And to me, the sort of inedible disaster pastry should have been at the bottom and the simple physical mistake should have been higher up. So it's just different how things are weighted sometimes. And I, I don't know how to feel about that. So sometimes... Well, sometimes we always question the judging, don't we? We we often look at the judging and think, I'm not sure about that. But um, yeah, especially in the technical, sometimes I'm a little confused. Well, thank you, Yoni, for that question. Provoked a lovely debate there and brought up some very good points. So thank you very much. We have another question here from Cindy in Kansas. And Cindy says, I'd like to ask you wonderful bakers if anyone ever forgets and licks their fingers while in the tent. I'm not admitting to anything here, says Cindy. And she says, thank you for a wonderful podcast. And I'm really enjoying the retro series. So uh, thank you, Cindy, for those lovely words. Uh, so, yes, do you any of you lick your fingers in the tent when you've been told not to? We were told specifically not to. But, you know, we do it automatically, don't we? I lick my fingers at home. Actually, I'll let you into a secret. Sometimes before something's going to go in the oven, it is going to be baked. I lick a spoon and maybe put it back into the mixture again. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's disgusting, isn't it? But I kind of think if it's, I know, don't come around to my house meat. And my neighbours, if you're listening, they will Talk be baked Talk about poison I know. Yes, you just have to be a bit careful that you don't use some of your disgusting habits at home in the tent on camera. If anybody who eats my bakes listening, I'm very sorry. But it's a bit like you said about Manon blowing on things. Yeah. Oh, yes. You just do things automatically and then you hope that they don't catch you. So one of the things I do all the time when I'm piping is I will clean off the end of the piping bag with my finger and then lick my finger. And then sometimes I think, how many times have I done that with the same finger? And it's been in and out of my mouth and I'm wiping it back on the piping bag. I'm like, I'm not... I'm not sure that this food is sanitary anymore. Um, so I do have to be mindful that actually all of us often work, uh, do the classes on camera. And it's a similar vibe. You sort of remember that people are looking at you. So I usually remember not to do anything too gross when uh, I know that people are watching me. When I'm at home in the kitchen by myself. Ooh. Ooh <laughs> privacy in your own kitchen. Oh, Dan, let, let's not pretend you don't just stick whisks in your mouth <laughs> during classes. Let's not pretend. Sometimes. Go on, Howard. What about you? <laughs> Maybe. Well, I, I was shocked actually. I must admit, because I don't, I don't, tell, I don't think that I lick my fingers. But then that little shot of me taking cakes into work, I give someone a slice of cake and then lick my fingers after it. It's like <laughs> I can't believe I do that. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, thank you, Cindy, for that. Uh, I think exposing that we all sometimes do things that maybe we shouldn't, and uh, and that's okay. So please do keep your questions coming in, everybody. You can send them to us via social media. We are at Bake with a Legend on all platforms, or you can email us thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com. So now we move into our showstopper challenge, which this week. It was a phyllo pastry pie. Now we had four hours to do this and it could have been free form 
or in a tin. And Howard, I think straight away we have to come to you with the drama that your pie created with you, Mel and Sue, you know, spatulaing it out of the tin and Becca and Glenn in the background. (laughs) Was it as dramatic as it looked? It was dramatic because I thought, you've got to bear in mind, I've not had a good run up until now, have I? In terms of... Accident, a bit accident prone. So, it, you, you think this is one of those things where it's probably going to collapse, isn't it? It was such a relief to actually get it on that plate. What, what had happened was that when I'd practiced this at home, part of the way through baking, I just tipped it out and put it on a flat baking tray. So, once it had crisped up enough, I'd kind of unmolded it and and then sort of put it onto a flat baking tray which made it a lot easier but i didn't have one of the lovely crispy neff ovens uh that that they have in the tent and it had clearly crisped up so much in the tin it wasn't going to survive being upturned uh in order to get it out so that was the only thing we could work out only way we could work out of doing it, really. But I'm confused. So the attractive part of the tin was on the bottom. Was it that the part that had a pattern? Yes, yes. So I was using it essentially as like a, a ring mould pie tin right. rather than as you would normally use it as a... A bun tin, yeah. Yes. But did you yeah. then flip it over to show the attractive pattern on top? Is that is that what happened or not? No, no, that stayed that stayed underneath because I'd, I... It was it was basically like an open top pie baked in a in a ring. So the tin was lined with the phyllo pastry. Filling goes in. It's baked, and then you unspring it so the sides of the tin and the center come out. But why didn't you use a flat bottomed tin rather than a patterned bottom tin? Would that have made life easier? I couldn't get one big enough at the time. I think that was it had to be a certain size uh, and the, okay. yeah the the only it wasn't particularly patterned on the bottom. It was a flat bottom, I think. It was fluted round the sides, but I think it was. I'll have to dig it out, but I'm pretty sure it was flat on the bottom. I think it had two different bottoms that you could put on. A flat one or one that was kind of ridged, like you were, if you were doing a, a kind of bunt or something like that. So, a pan with interchangeable bottoms. One for business and one for party. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah have you not got interchangeable bottoms, Sarah? I've, I've, got I've a just got a flat one. <laughs> I've got a dimpled one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I, I just thought Howard's looked really scrummy, actually, except we were talking earlier, weren't we, before we started recording about feta and whipped feta and did we like whipped feta? which I made in a dip the other day, and I think you and I, Dan, like it in limited quantities, not necessarily a great bowl of it whipped. So I think I might have chosen, I might not have chosen feta to go with fig. But the spanakopita, I mean, lots of people did that or did a variation upon it. That's just spinach and feta, right? Spinach and feta, basically, and, and you put other stuff in with it, don't you? Yeah, which I, again, find the feta too... I'm not a mad feta fan, I think. I think maybe it's not my most favourite cheese. But I, I thought the, scan, the Spanakopita was the easy choice, or the obvious choice, rather. So I kind of liked that people who went for other things, and maybe people who went to, more towards the sweet end of the spectrum, because maybe that's what I preferred. And I particularly liked, even though it didn't work out very well for him, 
Ali's Mahancha or snake cake. I really like the idea of a snake cake. Do you know what? I would have dreaded this whole week, actually. If this had been my week, I'd have seen the brief. I'd have been absolutely beside myself, not looking forward to this. The variation in all of the phyllo, I thought, was not unsurprising. Howard, what persuaded you to do it in smaller pieces rather than the big one? Did you just think it was... Partly lack of confidence. I just thought, I've never done... The... I mean, I have now done strudel and phyllo and stretch it out, and I don't mind doing that at all. But I just thought, I can manage this. I can do it in smaller sheets and keep building it up and lining it. And as I say, it probably took me about two hours that way. But it was, it was, I loved this challenge. Really? I just thought, yes. Oh, I loved it so much. I just thought, I can do this. I can, I can, it's, it's manageable within four hours. If I spend kind of two on the pastry, I've got enough time to do something a bit arty with the bits and cut them and sort of roll them up. So we've got a bit of texture around the top and put the filling in and what have you. And I, I, I think I've, mentioned this on classes before although it looked as if we were lifting that flan out at the last minute actually I made like a, a tahini dressing and and so on to to go on over the top uh, afterwards so it wasn't quite as rushed as as the editing made it look look well you got very good comments on yours didn't you flavors complementing each other it looked very elegant. So, yeah. Well, it clearly worked out for you. I think maybe this is, you're just misremembering it going back, thinking, because you had a good result. So you're probably looking back on it with rose-tinted glasses, I think, Howard. I think it, <laughs> I think it was an awful challenge. <laughs> <laughs> you used double zero, double O, pasta flour. And I, I'd never have thought to do that. It worked. It worked. I, t- I tried it with a few things. I tried it with ordinary plain flour and with a strong white flour. And the double O was giving me a better kind of stretch. as, okay. as I, So it was allowing me to get a little bit thinner, I thought. But uh... What did you think? Now, so when we were in the tent, we were not allowed to use other empty benches. And the only time we were allowed to use an empty bench was in the final because we had so much, so many items. But Ali used an empty bench for all his stretching out, didn't he? Was Ali. And then Kimberly came along and asked if she could use part of the bench. And she looked a little bit put out that Ali had taken up the whole bench. Do to spill the beans on that one, Howard, or were you? Well, I, d- I, didn't, I didn't know that had happened until you see the programme broadcast. But yeah, I, I thought, OK, it's all right, people stretching it, but they were having to do that on their own benches, weren't they? I think Glenn was stretching his on his own. And some benches have a sink on the end, yes, so you would be yeah. limited also by the amount of space. So all of ours did on our season. During, I think it was week four of my season, I there was an empty bench behind me and I put some baking sheets on there just to put them out of the way. And I got yelled at and told not to, I wasn't allowed to use it because it was unfair to other bakers who had to just make use of the space they had. So I'm surprised he got away with that. But then if you're doing a big phyllo sheet, it does kind of, you like you do need all that space, don't you? Maybe? I don't know. Did Kimberly have a sink? I just wonder if maybe this was an exception to the rule this week. Maybe. I mean, she cleared off the judges' table and used that, Kimberly did. And um, that was, I've never seen anyone do that before. So, um 
they obviously it would be unthinkable that somebody would do that on my season i just so i guess she got special permission to use it she wouldn't have just been bold mm. enough to walk over there and use it without permission i'm sure oh she would Yay. would she <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i just thought it was interesting i just thought you don't often see tension in the tent there's been a bit of tension in your series what with custard gate and now bench gate bench gate <laughs> yeah bench gate <laughs> We're making a new scandal, everybody. We are. Well, we had some really nice flavours in the tent. We had everything from sort of orange and cardamom and date and pistachios with Ali's uh, beautiful mahancha. And ruby went sweet as well with rose, almond and raspberry, uh, which had very, very good comments. I don't think we got too much information about Becca's Moroccan vegetable phyllo. I think that was the only one that we didn't actually get introduced to with the lovely uh, Tom Hovey illustrations. But we had a big range of flavours here. Kimberly's definitely coming out really well, which I think looked beautiful with the little extra bit of crackling she put round the top. I think Mary said it was ready for a party uh, and it really did look beautiful i thought it, it definitely looked great and um for me i was honestly i mean i'm a simple man but i was just sold on chicken and bacon i was like yeah i'll, I'll have that one like, <laughs> like sorry. but it's like like that's my go-to protein is chicken and bacon for everything so when she was like it's a chicken and bacon pie i was like sold i'll i'll have that one please i like the idea of putting the um turmeric in the pastry mm. as well to make it slightly more interesting color i thought it looked it was it was definitely my favorite and i'm like you chicken and bacon Chicken and bacon every time. I, it was described as part of absolutely beautiful an explosion in the mouth. It, it, but it did look great. It was the one actually now. Even though I've not long had my breakfast, I actually is making me feel quite hungry just to think of it. But that's because I don't like spanish capita very much. I don't. I'm not. I'm not a huge. I'm not a huge feta fan. Now, just going back to Poison Week, uh, just makes me think of Rob's comments uh, about this, his big selection of mushrooms. I love the moment where he just sort of looked into the camera and said, if you eat the wrong ones, there's no cure. You could just dissolve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was quite dark. It was an interesting one, though, that, wasn't it? Because I, I, w- I did wonder, is that one of those occasions where you could have said, I want these mushrooms preparing beforehand, kind of cleaning yes, up. Yes, he said he spent so much time washing them, didn't he? Cleaning mushrooms is You shouldn't awesome. wash mushrooms. No, you should no. not wash mu- mushrooms. Wipe you should them. only wipe them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tedious oh, job what um, cleaning mushrooms. And annoyingly, sometimes you'll get them and especially if you get your shopping delivered, as I do, because I'm super lazy, you'll get, sometimes the packets will have no mud on them at all and barely needs a wipe. And sometimes they're absolutely filthy. And those looked very dirty. So I'm not surprised they took him half an hour to clean. That's why I often don't bother with the faff of that. I have to say, if I'm making, in the winter, I often make stews. And uh, if I want mushrooms to go in stews, I'll often just buy a tin of quartered mushrooms because it saves an awful lot of time. But he could have brought his own mushrooms from the supermarket. We could bring our own ingredients along and tell them that we were. And had he brought his own ingredients along, he could have prepared them at home before that. That is true, yes. I liked the way they were talking about the Mushroom Club and he said it was an opportunity to kill yourself. (laughs) (laughs) 
which is awful, isn't it? Really, I, you, you wouldn't catch me tasting a strained mushroom unless it's from the supermarket. <laughs> I was too scared. I, was too I just scared. now have visions of Rob and uh, Ian, Ian coming, just sort of going through the forest, finding like roadkill and mushrooms and sort of scavenging through the countryside. Oh, I'm not going to dinner there either, really. <laughs> Sounds like a new Channel 4 programme. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So what... What other flavours do we think stood out? I think we need to talk about Francis's. Yes, I was um, about to say. Beautiful. Mm. I mean, mm. it looked beautiful. The design was lovely. Again, it, we had the uh, orange and lemon. Uh, I think orange blossom, ricotta. It sounded really, really beautiful. And with the cherries as well. Uh, and her comments were layers were too thick. And so some were undercooked in the middle and of course Paul loved to trot out his style over substance which I think we had at least twice in the program poor Francis what do we think of that one I thought the flavor sounded lovely but yeah the execution was not great uh and you could see how wet it was Howard when you saw how big that roll was were you sort of your instant concern it was going to be all raw inside I think so I think you sort of think has somebody come up with a different way of cooking this the way that I've been doing it because my idea was that you need to get those layers of of phyllo butter in between but they need to be on the outside. So the idea of actually having layers of phyllo inside, I thought, I don't know how this is going to work. And it clearly it didn't. No, no. I thought the design of it was very pretty, but I think Paul was kind of dead on with the style of a substance. But it's a shame because the flavour sounded lovely. And I my palate leans much more towards the sweet than the savoury. I like the sound of rubies. I liked the sound of Francis's. Francis's but yeah, it's just a shame that it, it also just the bulk of the pie, the main part of the phyllo pie just looked like a sort of giant salami, didn't it? So it was just, it wasn't the most, the, the artist, overall artistic vision was good, but there wasn't any beauty in the main phyllo part of the pie I found. What did you think, Jane? No, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, the overall impression was lovely. But, but I thought, oh, was that the same background that she used for her peach? <laughs> James the giant peach pie the day yeah. before. I don't blame her for that. I thought the tree looked absolutely stunning. I loved the idea of it. Uh, but yes, the, the main part of the pie was just the trunk. It was just like a very dull looking log. Uh, you know, she could have actually added, if she'd been going for this very artistic look, inside I totally agree with you but if she going to the outside she could have done something to make it look as though there was bark on it or or something like that so yeah you just have to look a little bit deeper with with Francis I I love her creative ideas but I'm not always sure that I like her her bakes particularly I thought there were some much nicer ones to this time I loved rubies I like savory I love the look of Howard's but could you have done it with brie or camembert instead of feta? feta but... There wasn't a lot of feta in there. It wasn't. There wasn't there. No, it was, it was mainly kind of uh, bulgur wheat. Where was it? Yeah, lemon thyme and feta. So that was, was giving it? you the sort of solidity. 
in which to oh. then put the uh, the fake bulgur wheat. I'm not sure. I noticed that it had bulgur wheat in it. Some of your baking is awfully healthy sounding, Howard. It's sort of like you're trying. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he looks so yes, fit. Oh, that and the running, of course. That's why Howard is more trim than me, certainly. But yeah, yeah um, and me. But I like this. I like the sound of alleys, actually. Yeah. But I totally agree with Paul, and, and that's not a phrase I utter <laughs> very often. Um, that he put pistachios on the top, and there was nothing, none inside. Well, that was and I Mary, agree- wasn't it? I think. It was oh, was it Mary? Yeah. That's why you agreed yeah. with it. Oh, maybe it was. Yeah, oh, I agreed right. with Mary as well. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Because I'm a great believer that whatever's inside, there, there should be a nod to it on the outside, especially if you're using nuts. If you think there's pistachios in it and then you cut inside and there are no pistachios, you're disappointed. Equally, if there are loads of nuts inside and you haven't had the, you might not like nuts or you might be allergic to nuts, there are no nuts on the outside. There's no visual clue that you shouldn't eat it. So I, I do think that if you're going to use something as a decoration, unless it's a bit of icing sugar. Yeah. You, you really ought to, to have some of that on the inside. The decoration should tell you what's in it. Yeah, in a way, yes, unless you're doing a cake with lots of flowers on it or something. But it says uh, mixed messages. Yeah, I think the decoration should give you a hint in, in these sorts of bakes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, Christine's, I think, also looked really nice. She had a roasted vegetable uh, phyllo pie with, sorry, Jane, feta cheese. Um, I, I don't think we were told the amount of the, all the different vegetables, but we got a shot of them on her bench, didn't we? And there looked to be all sorts of things. I mean, I think aubergine, there was some, I don't know if it was chilies or peppers, but all sorts of lovely vegetables. And she got some beautiful comments on that, didn't she? Stunning flavours and a good bake. So I think Christine wasn't having the best week so far, bless her. She was feeling the pressure in the first day, but the phyllo pie I definitely think brought her up a bit. Um, I think Glenn's did as well. Glenn was sort of hovering down the other end and his his phyllo pie did seem to save him as well. His uh, spanakopita with feta, spinach and walnuts. And the comments were good layers, crisp, well-cooked and the spinach really came through. On that note, let's move on to our eliminations and our star bakers. So this week, our star baker was the lovely Kimberly. She had a really nice pecan, rosemary and caramel apple pie in the signature. She did very well in the technical coming forth. And in the showstopper, she made a beautiful chicken bacon butternut squash pie with the lovely turmeric pastry. And she had very, very good comments. So do we think a well-deserved star baker for Kimberly there? Yeah, you could have picked her uh, yeah, easily. It, it, it All delicious. She did very well. I have to say, on I, I was very happy for Kimberly. And I, I, sorry, present company, Howard, but on that season, Kimberly, when I watched it live, Kimberly was my favourite baker. So uh, she did, was. Yeah. Because I, lo- I loved how confident she was and how interesting her flavour was and she had great technique. So I loved Kimberly and I wanted Kimberly to win. Sorry, Howard. Um, so I was. Del- no, that's fine. <laughs> we 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 all looked up to Kimberly. We 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 you know she would try and calm us down and we do exercises to try and chill Aww. out and so on. Bit, she uh, seemed lovely. Yeah. I must admit, but it never worked. Does... <laughs> <laughs> Too much stress in the tent. Yeah. And as every week, we do have to say goodbye to somebody. And unfortunately, this week it was Ali. He did not have the best pastry in his signature, and 
you know, him not being able, well, not wanting to taste his pie really put him at a disadvantage there. Uh, he came eighth out of nine in the technical and I mean his showstopper didn't appear too bad but it wasn't not, bad it seemed it seemed to be like he didn't do quite enough to save himself maybe rather than actually doing a bad showstopper apart from rolling out all the philo there wasn't actually a lot of work in it that was the main bulk of the work then it was just sort of rolling it up and coiling it up you know so um, maybe that's why I don't know but then other people did similar amounts of work but one of the things that I thought was really lovely about Ali's departure was how upset people were about it and people obviously really liked Ali a lot and I will uh, single out our dear friend Howard here for promptly bursting into tears so (laughs) yes that was very sweet that was so sweet did you really like Ali I did like Ali and and it was so sad because we'd obviously on the journey back we we tended to uh, go back on the train together so I remember that that last journey back with him was awful because he, he you know he was getting off in Birmingham and I was going on to to Sheffield but oh just the thought that he wasn't going to be there again it was awful oh and poor Christine she said if you don't stay in touch I'll kill you <laughs> <laughs> bless her just so so sweet Oh, so we end on a bit of a sad note as we say goodbye to Ali. He was clearly a, a very loved presence in the tent. But on happier notes, we hope we will see you all very soon at another class. Uh, as we've said before, we do have our lovely Bake Along series, which is going really well. We're very much looking forward to the rest of it. And we have our egg custard tarts with Karen on the 26th of March. And we have some lovely bakes from Dan coming up, as well as Ian, Rosie, and another one from Howard and Jane as well. So we're very much looking forward to all of those. And don't forget, when you are signing up for our classes, you can use the code PODCAST to get 10% off your next booking. Jane, Howard and Dan, thank you very much for joining us for episode four. We will be back next week with our Biscuits and Tray Bakes week. just heard a stripped media production. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.